Welcome to the Road to Zero podcast. I'm your host, Nick LeBlanc, founder of Network Potential Consulting. We're here to explore the fast-emerging zero-impact economy, which is transforming the way we do business, bringing prosperity, and regenerating the natural world in the process. And I invite you to look at how you can position your business at the forefront of this global movement. Today on The Road to Zero, we're talking to Rob Lavoie, President and CEO of Airterra, who's joining us from Calgary, Alberta this morning. Welcome, Rob, and thank you for being with us. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on. That's great. Appreciate that. Now, let me tell me, how did you get into the biochar business? What got you kind of down this path? Well, it's somewhat of a circuitous path, but it's a kind of a full circle story. Um, I was I was born on a farm, sort of raised on farm, in a farm background in Saskatchewan. Uh, even had some farmland and with my dad uh, in my twenties uh, and thirties. But uh, I took a turn uh, after graduating from high school, and I just went straight into the oil industry. It was boom times. Uh, it was about 1976. And um, long story short, I. I was became very interested in the chemical engineering for petroleum engineering and uh, got a graduated from the University of Saskatchewan in 1981. So that dates me. That's 40 years ago. But had a great, uh, in, uh, interesting turn in the oil industry. Um, however, mostly focused on environmental um, uh, projects. Uh, my first 10 years were with Shell Canada. And uh, what we were doing was we were using carbon dioxide to enhance oil recovery. So you've probably heard of the use of CO2 for EOR, the, you know, the CO2 EOR idea. And that actually sequesters CO2 while producing more oil. So it's yeah. a little bit uh, counterintuitive or, or counter beneficial because of the extra fossil carbon that you get out. But you do end up sequestering some CO2 with that activity. So, you know, that was in the 80s. I was going to say, you're just, you're just basically using the CO2 to push the, the oil down so it comes up the well more, basically. Yeah, it's actually a solvent. It actually sweeps the oil out of, the, out of, a, out of an, a, a subsurface reservoir like, a, like, a, like a, a washing solvent that sweeps the oil off the rocks and pushes it from the injector where you're injecting the CO2 to the producers where you're producing the oil. Okay. So it actually works very well, uh, but it's always been marginal economically, as is a lot of environmental activities in industry. You know, back in the 80s, especially when nobody was really considering CO2 as an issue in the, in the atmosphere. So anyway, so the 80s and 90s uh, went by and um, I essentially continued to provide services to the oil industry um, relating to sequestering CO2. And uh, I started a consulting company called Calpetra in the early 2000s and had a number of staff working on EOR projects and uh, pure CO2 sequestration. So one of the projects we did the feasibility study for is a project that Shell has um, uh, capturing CO2 at the Scotford refinery near Edmonton uh, and sequestering it geologically. 
So I had been doing this uh, most of my life and uh, being interested in environmental issues and in, 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 ever increasingly because uh, you know the notion and the the urgency and the and the concern of the environment continued to to worsen over those years. In t- 2008, I learned about um, the possibility of uh, carbonizing biomass into a charcoal which is what's currently called biochar. When I heard about this, I just wondered, well, um, why aren't we doing this? If, it, if we're removing carbon from the atmosphere industrially and sequestering it geologically, why wouldn't we let nature remove carbon from the atmosphere naturally through photosynthesis and uh, fix that carbon as a solid charcoal and then use that in soils where it is resistant to decomposition and then doesn't go back into the atmosphere. So same thing, but actually in a way that's beneficial. So here's yeah, the, the light so that was 2008. Pardon me, light went on, absolutely, 2008. And uh, I, I kept on asking myself and Googling, what could be wrong with this idea? And I never, <laughs> to this day, I have not found a, a, a reason why we wouldn't do this. Now, there are some issues, uh, you know, dealing with uh, not, over, not overdoing it. You don't want to be doing it in a way that's not re- sustainable for you know, the use of biomass and all of those things. Since 2008, uh, I incorporated a company called AirTerra, and it was very little known at that time this whole notion of biochar uh, uh, production and use as a, as a soil amendment. So what we did was we, we basically did an international development project um, in Kenya where we introduced uh, cooking stoves, clean cooking stoves that would uh, use wood as a, as a fuel. Uh, course, in Kenya, wood comes from wherever they can get it uh, for small shareholder farmers, their own wood lots or local wood lots or whatever it might be, and uh, use the wood as a fuel for cooking. But at the end of the cooking session, these stoves didn't produce ash, they produced charcoal. So they're what you call a pyrolytic stove that doesn't combust the wood, but used, but only combusts the gases that come off the wood. And leaves charcoal behind. And so we were working with these small shareholder farmers in Kenya and saying, hey, this is a, an alternative to just uh, cooking on three stones, which is a traditional way to cook. And it's very inefficient. It's actually 10 times more efficient to cook on a pyrolytic stove than, than a three-stone fire. And could you give us an idea of what the differences of a pyrolytic stove, for example, maybe as a regular cooking stove that we might be more familiar with? Yeah, I mean, in developing world context, uh, we have at least a billion people still cooking their food over uh, a wood fire. When you do that uh, and you cook with oxygen openly exposed to the flame, to the to the to the fuel that you're using, wood, um, that fuel burns with a high concentration of oxygen and the actual carbon in the wood combusts along with all of the other flammable gases that come off from the wood. 
the wood contains a lot of other gases, uh, propanes or uh, turpentines and oils and and methanes and and hydrogen molecules and all those things come off the wood as it as it uh, uh, burns. But in a pyrolytic stove, you um, direct the the gases that come off the wood as the wood is being heated up uh, to a to um, a portion of the stove that's being used for combustion, but you use the heat from that combustion directed into the fuel chamber without any oxygen, so that the fuel chamber doesn't actually combust, it just simply heats. And when you heat biomass in the absence of oxygen, you end up vaporizing all of the light components, hydrogen, um, uh, methane, and, and those sort of, and carbon monoxide come off, but the carbon structure of the wood remains uh, intact because it's not being combusted. There's no oxygen for that. So, so what I hear is not only are you preserving that, that CO2 and you can actually do something with it afterwards or that carbon, but in essence, you're getting this, this far that's not emitting any CO2 or very little of it. No, no, you, you emit a small amount of CO2. So in the, in the process of a pyrolytic conversion of biomass into charcoal and, and syngas, those are synthetic gases that come off the wood, or the wood, the wood gases that come off, smoke. The smoke that you see in a, on, a, on a campfire is what we call synthetic gases um, uh, or wood gas. When you combust the wood gas, uh, you, you, you're putting about half of the original biomass carbon into the atmosphere. Takes that much to uh, to keep the process going, and uh, that's what comes off the wood as a as a sort of volatile volatile gases that come off the the wood. But the the, the recalcitrant ga uh, carbon that stays in the form of charcoal it's about fifty percent of the charcoal stays as charcoal. But what's interesting is that the the energy content of the gases that come off the wood is about 70% of the energy value of that uh, feedstock. And the carbon that comes uh, 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 is about 30% uh, of the energy value. So you're, 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 you, you can use, you can get your cake and eat it too with this process because uh, if you conserve the gases that come off the pyro pyrolytic process making the biochar, you get 70% of the energy in the form of gas. You, you end up about with about 20% of that original wood in uh, preserved as as pure carbon almost. The nice thing, it not being a fossil process, because this is carbon that the trees basically take out, you, you burn them, and the nice thing is you're actually able to sequester it. Um, uh, what's the percentage of carbon you get to sequester? Is it 20 or 50% from the original well, carbon? Well, it's, it's, it's 50% of the original carbon in the wood is, okay. is sequestered into the soil. Uh, it's about 20% of the weight of the wood, but 50% of the carbon, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you yeah. get to have some some good, healthy, high-efficient heat out of the process as well. Yeah, exactly, and and that's kind of where the, the you know, so, <laughs> so we started by uh, introducing this concept to small shareholder farmers in Kenya uh, for uh, use of the gas as a cooking fuel and the use of the carbon for uh, a way to enhance soils in their, you know, on their farms. 
And one of the things that they showed us was, oh no, we're going to convert, we're going to blend this carbon into our um, animal manures that are on the farm because we want to make um, a very uh, high quality organic fertilizer with it. And they were right. So <laughs> they showed us something and uh, we, uh, we were quite amazed at their um, ingenuity and, uh, and their economy there to make use of the charcoal, not just straight blending it into the soil because that wasn't as beneficial as blending it into their animal manures first and then using that as a, 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 a biochar fortified organic fertilizer to enhance what's the, the, their plant growth. And what's the benefit of that uh, mix? What does that give you that the, just the biochar doesn't give you? Yeah, so biochar has uh, really three main advantages as a soil amendment. The biochar itself has a lot of porosity and a lot of surface area. And uh, the surface areas is positively and negatively charged. So you have positive charges and negative charges. So it absorbs nutrients that have positive and negative ions. So phosphorus, potassium, nitrate, ammonium, uh, uh, magnesium, all of those uh, major nutrients that plants want and the, mic and the, and the minor micronutrients as well can adsorb, adsorb onto the surfaces of the char and be retained there, held there in place until the plants need, need it. So it's like a, it's like a slow, it's, it performs like a slow release fertilizer. But when you make the biochar itself, there's none of that on it. It's completely pristine, inert carbon. So you do have to charge the biochar after it's been manufactured with nutrients so that it can be beneficial for plants that way. The porosity is the other fat feature, structural uh, 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 feature of biochar is that it has porosity and that uh, absorbs moisture, like a capillary uh, kind of a um, force that brings moisture into, the, into that, like a sponge, okay? So it absorbs moisture. And because it has all these nutrients and moisture, in it when you use it as a soil amendment. The microbiology just loves it. They just go crazy in this porous, high surface area, nutrient and moisture rich environment. And so it stimulates microbiology to, uh, to grow and, and uh, per, uh, populate those charcoal pieces. So you have all three of these components, moisture, plant nutrients and microbiology. And when you put plant roots into there, <laughs> they go crazy. And uh, the plant roots actually get along with these mic this microbiology because the microbiology is actually helping to, um, to feed those roots with the nutrients that are absorbed onto the surface of the char. So there's a real party going on with, the, with <laughs> that kind of a blend and mix. Uh, yeah, so those are the three main things that where how, how biochar benefits uh, soils to make them more productive with plants. Yeah, it's a bit of a almost a micro uh, wonder element you can put in there, and it's it's really interesting because I know soil is a big conversation right now with the, the depletion of soil, and right. it sounds like you put a bit of this with a bit of a 
again, another waste product. We're trying to figure out what to do it and put that in the soil. And all of a sudden you've got some, some quite amazing results. That's right. And we continue to, to work on this and research this over the years. So, so 2008 to, or 2009 till about 2015, we're focused on the international development and use of biochar in that context. But in 2013, we started to look at creating a commercial product in Canada. So uh, we <laughs> registered with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency a label for biochar in Canada, which was necessary at the time. And in 2015, we received that um, registration and began selling a product across Canada called Soil Matrix. <laughs> so this is what I, our brand name for our biochar is. The Soil Matrix is where all the action is happening. <laughs> and uh, we're having a, a, a product that enhances the soil matrix. And so we call it soil matrix biochar. And what are, do you see the applications in that in order? Like we, we definitely see how, how it can benefit in Kenya and how it's used and how it's it's so integral and how they um, even they cook their food into the mix into the, the, the animal feedstock and, and it, it, it helps them out. So what's the cycle that you, like how do you make it in Canada and who benefits from it? Or where do you see the market? Yeah, so right now we're not, actually manufacturing our own biochar. We commission the manufacturing of our biochar through a, a company in uh, British Columbia. Uh, the name is BC Biocarbon uh, out of McBride, British Columbia. And that company is using uh, forest residuals as a feedstock to make a high quality biochar with a kiln, of an industrial sized kiln. And they make use of the uh, heat, the gases that come off that process to dry wood that's coming into the process. Um, we also uh, source a pr our, our product from another company in Edmonton that uses construction and demolition, source separated, clean, organic, because it has to be, if it can't be treated with paints or any kind of uh, preservatives or anything like that, it has to be clean, organic wood. And they convert that into a biochar product as well. So we source from two different manufacturers, one in Edmonton and one in McBride. The one in Edmonton is uh, Innovative Reduction Strategies, Inc., which is a company that we uh, are collaborating with on the sale of biochar. But we're seeing we're at a cusp now in the whole history of, of uh, actually climate change solutions and, and, and the urgency to find and uh, scale up uh, carbon removal technologies because biochar is not only a carbon neutral form of energy, but it is actually a, 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 a net um, uh, emissions reduction technology. So, so it actually removes carbon from the atmosphere. And so it's become very apparent that there's a, a, a huge benefit for, for, but for biochar is one of the very few ways of actually taking CO2 out of the atmosphere and making use of it beneficially. We're now pivoting again to build a plant near Calgary uh, on an experimental ranch called Migo Ranch, which is uh, actually the former Rocky View Hutterite colony, which has been converted now to an to an, to a, to an agriculture bu agricultural business park. And uh, they have offered to host uh, a, a a biochar production facility on the ranch. And they also have animals on the ranch. So now you're starting to see that it's a scaled up version of Kenya, basically. 
Yeah. And, and I imagine they'll be using, the, they have some kind of wood residue, like I said, even waste residue, and then they'll be, I guess. That's right. So arborist cuttings from Calgary's uh, mature canopy, huge amount of wood, mm. huge amount of wood. Um, and uh, maybe or maybe not construction demolition, depends on if we can find a good source that's clean and isn't contaminated. Uh, but we're also looking at uh, purpose-grown willow plantations and coppicely harvesting. If you know what coppice harvesting is, it's a, not cutting them down completely. It's just simply giving them a, a haircut once every three years. We don't need to have dimensional lumber as our feedstock. We can use small pieces of wood, and so we can use arborist cuttings and... Uh, and coppice harvesting of, of plantation uh, shrubs and trees. So what yeah. we're going to be doing is promoting the use of uh, shelter belts that are coppicely harvested as the feedstock so we can source our wood locally from agricultural industry. And that would give the farmers that actually provide that feedstock a break on our product. And then we're going to promote the use of the product in the animal bedding, okay, so you get a stacked function out of it. It reduces uh, indoor air uh, uh, problems for animals with, uh, with the, the quality of the indoor air in, in uh, animal sheds and barns. And it, re it reduces the you know, number of, amount of pathogens that are in the bedding because it uh, adds oxygen and prevents anaerobic conditions from occurring. And it actually absorbs uh, uh, nutrients from the from the manure and urine as it as it's as it's as it's happening, so you lessen the amount of uh, nitrates and ammoniums and things like that for respiratory illness uh, illnesses and problems. Um, keeps the, the hide on the animals clean, so it makes them look good when they go to market. Uh, so those are stacked functions. And then when the when the bedding is spent, we compost it. And use it as a as organic fertilizer for farm for on farm or potentially for retail gardening and all of those sorts of things. Wow! So you just really created this beautiful process going everywhere from, uh, and and you said the these belts. Imagine you're using vegetation to help uh, limit soil erosion or right. some kind of function for uh, flooding and wind and and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So you take these things. Yeah. Put them in the process. Make some heat heat out of it. So imagine you'll be using that to heat some homes or heat a heat a business or something. Yeah, in fact, that's a third. There's three revenue streams here for for those who want to be get involved, and that's what's so compelling for us. the The biochar is one revenue stream, and that goes into the animal bedding and makes a good co-composted uh, uh, organic fertilizer with all of the on-farm organics. Uh, that's one revenue stream. The second one is the 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 use of these the, the wood gases, and the process that we're selecting is actually a company out of uh, London, Ontario, called Char Technologies, and they have a, a technology that converts the synthetic gases that come off the process into a renewable natural gas that we can uh, actually be at pipeline uh, quality to go into the Alberta's natural gas gathering system and sell it as renewable natural gas. So that's another revenue stream for us. And the third revenue stream, which is getting to be very large now, is the sale of carbon credits. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask, because I imagine with the sequestration of the carbon, I imagine there's, a, there's that element that you can play in. That's right. That's right. It's, and that's actually a very huge driving factor is the price on carbon. 
that's increasing at $15 a year now until 2030. Wow. At $170 per ton, uh, every ton of biochar we put into the soil is worth about 2.3 tons of CO2 removed from the atmosphere. So that's almost $400 per ton of biochar. So you just described a bit of a gold mine. And, and just without the carbon credits, it sounds like you've got a pretty robust process that's, that's already, um, that, that works that's right. financially with, with right. the addition of this, this extra little gold mine at the end. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it could be that way, but it hasn't been. Uh, because there's still a lot of convincing of the marketplace that this is a product that is beneficial for the marketplace adequate you know the, that the price cost uh, the 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 cost benefit is is adequate and that takes a lot of demonstration and and a lot of onboarding of new customers which is expensive so it's actually good a good thing that there's these other revenue streams to help soften the blow in order to get into the marketplace yeah and i guess that's the biggest challenge because i know not everybody's heard about it and and just exactly. uh, yeah yeah that closes the loop with us because that's what you're doing. And I appreciate it. Uh, making, oh, you're very welcome. Making these things known to people. No, yeah. it's, a, it's a very beautiful process. So what, what do you see, like uh, who else, just because I imagine you're probably more familiar with the North American market. What other activity are you, would you say you're the dominant player or is there a lot of other players bringing this to market right now? Well, there's uh, a number of players lining up to make biochar not as many looking at uh, how you would use it and how, where, how, how you would work with customers uh, to make use of it and to make it uh, appealing as a product market fit kind of thing. Tesla when at, found the right pathway to the marketplace. There's a whole process. You, know, you, make a, you make a roadster first and then you make a really high-end SUV and then you finally get to a place where the, you're, 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 you're serving the broader market. Well, there is another pathway to market for for biochar, and uh, and Airterra has been studiously working on that part of the equation, but these other companies are working on uh, perfecting the actual manufacturing of the biochar. Uh, so, uh, like Char Technologies in London and uh, other players uh, across Canada. Um, okay. But we need to find how to get it into the marketplace. That's the real thing. Yeah. And then right now, like I definitely heard the uh, bringing into the farms and basically turning it into a, a high value fertilizer. And how easy is it, is it to get into that market? Well, it sounds like you've got a bit of a super product there that would stack up really well compared to peat moss and, and your regular soil type uh, additives. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it'll be easier if we can have a, a lower cost product because of all these revenue streams. So we have to pay attention to the cost benefit for the for the consumer and then once there's been adequate demonstration of how it's how it can be used because it isn't just a no-brainer in terms of how you use it you have to charge it with nutrients and inoculate it with beneficial microbes and then use it and uh, it's all that's those are the kind of the keys of, of how to bring it to the marketplace is to make use of all of its benefits uh, and then that has to be demonstrated at scale, not just in a laboratory. Okay. So we need to do a lot of demo activity before it's going to take off. Relative, you know, 
then resonate with the marketplace. Okay, and that's actually a great, great question. There is where were you where are you at in your process, and what is next for Airtero? Next for Airtero, believe it or not, is um, competing in uh, the Musk Foundation and the X Prize Foundation's carbon removal challenge. And so we're actually one of 10 companies that uh, an organization called Avatar Innovations have selected to work in a cohort to compete for that $100 million X Prize uh, prize, which is awarded in smaller amounts. But anyway, that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Funding. <laughs> Perfect. Well, it's yes that you you've got the idea, you've got a, a great little process, and yeah, just to just to break it out into the market and, and get that recognition. I imagine that's the the big wall, the big hurdle to overcome at this point. That's the that's the huge that's a huge thing. Yeah, absolutely. And any last words you'd like to to leave to our audience about what you're up to and what you'd like to see? Stay tuned to this channel. I mean, this is uh, this is an uh, up and coming thing. Um, it's not the it's not a silver bullet. But it is one of the things that are going to is going to help to um, to get us to CARP to net zero, and uh, uh, you know we need we need neutral net neutral uh, technologies, but we're going to end up needing to have removal carbon removal technologies as well, and that's what this is. So know the difference between carbon removal and and uh, carbon neutral, because we'll need both. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing with us this really eloquent process that you've managed to put together. And I definitely wish you luck. And hopefully we'll be hearing a lot more about Airterra once we hear about these winners of the XPRIZE. Okay. Nick, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Check us out at www.futureproof-network.com to hear our other episodes, links to our YouTube channel, and to join our Future Proof Business Network. See you again in our next episode.